Good evening and welcome back to another episode of Please Call Me Crazy brought to you by Free People Radio and powered by our favorite sponsor, TireGit.com. That's TireGit.com. You have to buy tires from somebody. You might as well buy them from us. Help fund the movement. Help support the movement. We believe in the freedom of movement, and that's exactly what the establishment wants to take from you now. I am your host, Royce White, here in the belly of the beast, Minneapolis, Minnesota, for another great family and friends episode. Today we have the great Professor Penn back in the back in the studio. Thank you. Thank you very yes, much. For episode number one hundred and one hundred and four. Episode one oh four. Fast approaching a million downloads. We'll have to do a celebration episode at a million downloads. Maybe we'll get four people here at the uh at the at the big table and have a, a millionth episode uh deal. Um great to have you back. I appreciate you. Thank you for having appreciate me. Appreciate you being here. Thank you. Um over the last couple of days I've been talking about Deion Sanders and cultural wedge issues and them being a distraction and Jason Whitlock and Dion are having a good old fashioned internet throwdown. It's uh, entertaining to watch. But what I've been trying to introduce as a as an idea uh, that you and I have worked on a lot and and will be the central idea of the Free People of America, the the organization Free People of America, is self governance and how entertainment has distracted us greatly, as Jason Whitlock is, is pointing out, from the most important things happening in our society. Um, you and I talked about the Ukraine war. This is probably the most important thing happening in our society today at, at a global level. Well, it's the most important diversion. Absolutely. Right. Most important diversion. Right. Right. Um, talk about it. I mean, we, 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 we talk about where we are with the, with this war all the time. I mean, I just, I just feel like, you tell me, in times past, you come from a different generation than, than, I, than I grew up in, but in times past when we were at war with a country, which we are now, we're at war with Russia, was there more, was there more media coverage, more genuine, honest media coverage of those wars? No. No, no. there wasn't. No, this, mm-hmm. this goes back to my memory, mm-hmm. which is very clear about the Vietnam War, Mm-hmm. which the government and the Pentagon falsified the entire deal. The whole thing. Proceed. Well, well was, I mean, it even got down to a, a man named uh, Daniel Ells, Ellsberg, the, the Pentagon Papers. There was a person with access to government records mm. who actually released thousands of pages of uh, the Pentagon Papers, I mean, where they were just uh, falsifying the uh, reports. Mm. So, you know, they, they knew that the whole process was a failure long before they told the American people what the difference is. But weren't the people, what I'm talking about is weren't the people, like let's say you had a show, right, firing line with William Buckley, and you see at the height of the Vietnam War a character who is now or is on the left of the political spectrum, like Noam Chomsky, come out and criticize the, the America's involvement in the Vietnam War or the way that we were operating in the Vietnam War on mainline mainstream media. So there was more honest coverage or dissent about the, the nature of the, the war effort. When no. You were, no? No, absolutely not. 
Well, there's no dissent allowed now. There was no dissent allowed then either. Uh, no. Let me let me just share with you because okay. I was a eyewitness to the event. Okay. It was the 1960s. Mm-hmm. Merely 25 years Fulton previous. Sheen. Fulton Sheen was, was critical of the war. I mean, all these people were Fulton on. Fulton Sheen, please, let me just digress just for a minute into this because I think I have a pretty clear memory of okay. this. Okay. I mean, I was an, a witness. Mm-hmm. Can I have a witness? That would be me. Yes. 45 was the end of World War II. It was a great military victory of the United Nations over the fascist dictatorships. And those of us that were born in the 50s, that would be like my group, Mm -hmm. we had this overwhelming confidence in the superiority of the U.S. military and in the righteousness of the actions of the government. We were living in a mega illusion. We weren't aware of all the perverted kind of uh, coups and manipulations that were going on under the Eisenhower administration with the Dulles brothers from 46 to 1960 when Kennedy got involved. We weren't aware of what was going on. We thought everything America did was righteous because mm. there had been a righteous and divine war. At least that's the way it was fenced to us. Mm. Right? Yes. I mean, we were attacked. Mm. You know, we were, we were just sitting there minding our own business. Mm. And... We were attacked. Yes. And then we came off the bench and we prevailed. Right. And there was very little talk about the sacrifice of some 25 or 30 million Russians. Nobody talked about that. We knew that the Germans attacked the Russians, but the way we were taught the war, the United States won that war. That's what we were taught. So we believed in the 60s that whatever our military did was right, whatever our country did for policy was right, there was a uni party then without the dissent that exists today. And the dissent came not because the war was being mischaracterized as a victory, but because there was a movement of people that were anti-war because it was so close to World War II right. and because there was not the distractions of sports. I mean, I remember the first Super Bowl was, I think, 67 that was on television. It hadn't developed the sporting distraction was in its infancy. Mm. People were still living much more humble lives. We were still on the gold standard. People worked. The middle class was quite strong at that time, the union movement. So there was a great sense of solidarity about the government, the people, the righteousness of America, the goodness of America. And the the anti-war movement was really a movement of young people my age that on ideological grounds believed that war was bad because it was so close to World War II. What was really going on, of course, was that there was a communist organization of that anti-war movement, which we didn't understand at the time. And what was also not said is most of us that were in the anti-war movement were in it not because of altruistic reasons. We weren't into it for philosophical reasons. We mm-hmm. just didn't want to get killed. You know, it was cowardice, right? And it was a great way to get laid. Yes, that's correct. A lot of, lot of sex, drugs, and rock and roll right. were associated with the movement. Still to this day. And, you know, the, when you look Only at Only you the, guys got to, the, 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 sex, <laughs> the sex, drugs, and rock and roll got so good that the anti-war movement disappeared completely. 
hey, you know what? It, it was a convergence of many uh, social forces, the civil rights movement, the women's rights movement. Gay, gay rights. Gay rights movement, access to illegal narcotics for the first time across the middle class, the people that just generally were drinking previously. Now I had, you know, access to marijuana. Mm-hmm. And then the sex thing was profound because that appealed to the... The pill. The whole thing. It mm-hmm. was just a giant period of change mm-hmm. that uh, caught my generation somewhat flat-footed. And when you watch the television, there was very little uh, dissent about the righteousness of the war. And because the Pentagon and the government was lying about the progress related to the war, we just assumed that, you know, the U.S. military was large and in charge. It was all good. The anti-war movement was a philosophical movement that became associated with a bunch of lies that were being purveyed. And then, of course, it gained steam. But it, was, it, was, it did eventually become mainstream. It, eventually, it became, it became apparent that we could not win this war because the Vietnamese The whole people, hippie, I mean, what, what, was, is it your theory of the case? Is it, you're saying that the anti-war sentiment was the cornerstone of the entire hippie social, social civil rights, human, human rights movement. That was the, the nexus of the whole deal. It wasn't civil rights. It was not civil rights. No, I it don't wasn't, think so. Because that's how it's told in There history. was an overlap. There was an overlap, but it, the central thrust was not the civil thrust, rights for black people. I'm a white kid from the suburbs, and I don't want to get killed. I don't want to be drafted. I don't want to be drafted. I want my freedom. Because we. this was a very So is it your period. theory of the case that the anti-war movement was more was more in the spirit of not wanting to be un- Un, involuntarily drafted into the war, or that the 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 morality of the war itself was wrong. Well, were, of course, were, it, were it, suburban it, white kids lying and taking the position that the moral, the morality of the war was wrong, just so that they could get out of having to go? In my in my theory or of my sense of it, yes, the morality was is that why it was so easy for it to be morphed into the next iteration of leftist and progressivism that is is completely. Uh, Abjunct or or uh, contradictory to its former formerly held political positions. If your comment is, if the moral center was actually a lie, did that allow for more lies to be built on top of yes. it? Yes. The answer is yes. Okay. And the first lie of this era was the necessity of dropping the nuclear bombs on the Japanese to prevent more death. Did the anti-war movement support the dropping of the bombs in Japan as a way to stop the war? No, or, that was the neck. That was the initiation point of the anti-war movement. Ah, the nuclear weapons were there. Ah, Get it? Got it. Okay. There that, was mass. There was mass carnage and death and terror about things getting out of control. We couldn't. None have, of us want to die under this new scientific revolution. That's correct. So let's not even play in this field. Let's quit right now. Mm-hmm. And plus, for me, I just don't want to go. Which to is Vietnam. a reasonable thing. It's still a reasonable thing. So, so what, I guess it is. Yeah, so today. what's the what's the difference today? We still have a narrative that even today, today, right now, today, mm-hmm. what's the date today, Tanner? What's the date? The twenty sixth of September. 26th. The majority of Americans are being told and believe that the Ukrainians are winning. holding their own, winning with valiant and heroic efforts. Mm-hmm. When in reality, if you look at a wide range of media, the opposite is very likely to be true. Al Jazeera, Australian news, 
um, Indonesian news, Indonesian, wherever you want to mm-hmm. go look. India. When you look at Wyan, for example, mm-hmm. when you look at it, it's a much more, and I, and I urge my audience, and I'm going to say it here on, to this beautiful Please Call Me Crazy audience, people have got to see this stuff for themselves by broadening out the amount of information they're taking in. They have to have more facts because there is always subjectivity. There's never the truth. There's just an angle on the truth. So you want to triangulate or you want to infer from a wide range of sources. And I mean, I just, for myself, I just look at it and go, okay, here's one. The U.S. government has a funding problem. And there's a group of American nationalists that are saying, we don't want to spend any more money on this war. Okay, the minute the money stops, the minute our government, which is we, us, pay attention to we the people, the Ukrainians lose the next day. The, the, whatever is to, it even is it even constitute well, one? I, I saw the great, the great um, Senator Rand Paul, son of son of Ron Paul, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Rand Paul say, if the government shuts down. What does it say that if the government shuts down, government workers would would stop getting paid, but but the Ukraine would continue to get funding? I mean, I think it's a a, a great a great point that, I mean, this is essentially the essence of America First as a as a policy position is is like we're we are stretched way out over our skis, well beyond what the average American citizen can even really comprehend. Um, when it comes to when it comes to the Ukraine, um, is it your sense that the Russians are actually winning the war? Uh, yes, for sure, definitively, definitively. Me too. Yeah, They've already cool. won the war from my perspective because the spring offensive failed, and the Russians have been able to maintain their control of the eastern Ukraine, where the Russian-speaking people live where the Ukrainians are, I mean, I think there's a fairly good agreement that the Ukrainians were trying to practice ethnic cleansing in mm-hmm. that you know, part of the Ukraine to, mm-hmm. to kill the, the ethnic Russians that were over there. And they've held on to it. They're not going to be dislodged. Why are we continuing this fight? Is it even constitutional for, the, for, for us to, and when we get down to a, a policy, policy level, is it even constitutional for the American government to participate in a foreign conflict of this of this magnitude without the consent of the people, without uh, making an official declaration of war with the Congress. Well, that's what we've gotten so good at since the Vietnam War was actually a commitment of U.S. troops, and you know required some acknowledgement at the congressional level that there was a war. Right. And I don't think they got that thing sorted out. I don't think they ever declared war on North Vietnam. I don't remember that they did. So this thing has been going on. goes back to Korea. There's all these workarounds mm-hmm. because they really don't want the American public getting involved in the business of war. Because what is the business of war? What is the United Nations? The United Nations regulates war, war. No, no, it's a regulation of war. Mm. We cannot I'd have, say it's probably the war offensive. <laughs> well, it is, but it, they regulate The Insecurity Council. The, point is they regulate it so there isn't nuclear weapons used, but let's make sure the business of war is proceeding afoot, pace. Wait, 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 wait. You're saying that the United... Yes, I am. That's exactly what I'm saying. 
Mm. I'm saying it's just like cigarettes. If cigarettes are so bad for us, why, why, why can we buy them? Well, why are they regulated with the tax money going to the government? I mean, if gambling is so bad for us, why is gambling legal? Marijuana, I mean, the government is taking all these activities that are bad for human well-being, and they don't outlaw it. They regulate it and tax it. It's a good business. They basically are taking away all the mafia's revenue streams. Yeah. What does that make the government? A gang. The biggest gang. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to the biggest part of gang life, which is war, the United Nations regulates the war, controls the war. Say that again. The government, the United States government, is taking away all of the mafia's rackets, regulating and taxing it. They're taking a vig, taking a cut. That's right. That's how I see it. And if you squeeze out the mafia or all the organized crime of these specific industries, then you inherit the criminal organization. You are the criminal organization. Only now what is evil is now good. What because is what made what the mafia did illegal is, is, was, was not the, the industry or the trade of good or services that they dealt in. It was their willingness to commit violent acts of crime in no, pursuit no, of no, those? No, 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 no. We as the people. No, wait, that, is the, that was the government's claim, though. Yeah, but is what, that the mafia? But, but what what was, made it illegal wasn't necessarily selling the. No, no, it was alcohol. Ill, it was illegal, right? To do it, right? I mean, prostitution was illegal, right? Gambling was illegal, right? Drugs were illegal. But the way they fenced it to the American people, why they got rid of the mafia or the American organized crime in America, why they went after organized crime was because of the violence, the unregulated violence that accompanied these rackets. Well, that might and, have been. And a, what they're trying to do is fence the America, America's government, which is really a, a globalist initiative, their use of violence as okay because it's regulated. That's correct. Right. It's legal when they do it. It's legal when they do it. And further. I told Jason, I said, when your government steals, everybody steals. Everybody is stealing. That's right. I'm going to tell you the feeling amongst the business community of which I participate in. Mm-hmm. When you see this level of inequity, very hard. Very hard to live with it. What Very you explain? hard. Explain. you I'm an honest business person. When I say an honest business person, I mean I'm really an honest person. Mm-hmm. The way I do business, I don't steal. I pay my bills. I'm always putting myself in the shoes of my counterparty. I'm seeking long-term, mutually beneficial relationships. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, personal relationships. Entrepreneurship. Nation Fran- of shopkeepers. Friendships with the people I do business yes. with. They're yes. the most important people in my life. Mm-hmm. And we're all just looking at the robbing and the, the pillaging, and we're going, what are we doing Be here? Be specific. When you say robbing and pillaging, you mean the banks and the interest rates. Well, I mean the banks and the interest Explain rates. Explain that for I, people. And I mean, well, okay. Because so we talked, I talked to Rich, Rich Excel, right? Right. And Rich is a former Wall Street guy, you know, former, former, former money trader. And I thought he did a good job sort of laying out the, uh, the schematics of how Wall Street works from, a, you know, from an insider perspective without being too harsh against the system, which, you know, me, I'm, I was, I wasn't violent against Rich, but I'm pretty violent against the financial Ponzi scheme on a regular basis. Tell us a more- Outspoken. Uh, very, yeah, <laughs> to say go. the least. But, but tell us a more detailed version of how the current economic, uh, the, the current economic policy around the world is, is squeezing out small business owners like you and every and all all across the country. Can I have five minutes, please? Because I want to. I want to share this with the audience, and it's a kind of a, a therapy for me. 
like you know you're like my therapist on this because it's well really- I want you to do it I want you to do it for this reason there's a high, there's a there's a hijacking of the American political cultural narrative that suggests anybody who has money or who has a business who's an entrepreneur is automatically clumped in with the elites that have become predatory and corrupt that's not true and we need oh. to be able to distinguish between the two and understand that small business in the nation of shopkeepers is what we want and a shopkeeper may own a small airline. Now that a small airline owner may be a fucking globalist or he may be a genuine uh, uh, shopkeeper who is trying to provide jobs and, and, and have a thriving business, proceed. That really brings that back a memory. I just want to make a small anecdotal okay. memory. My okay. father, who was Professor Penn, mm-hmm. who was not a business person, he'd have these flights of fancy and he used to say that he wanted to open a small airline to shuttle the sick to the Mayo Clinic. You know, he would have been an entrepreneur. He would have been a, sh- a small business person had he done that. Mm-hmm. And he would have been providing a service. This goes back, the, 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 let me just say this, because this is my own path. And it really, I'm speaking to the thousands and tens of thousands of people probably are not listening because they're home watching Fox News right now, okay, before they jack off and go to sleep, okay? Mm -hmm. People I don't like. They believe that they've got some money and they're invested in the system. And if they got a couple million bucks, 10 million, 20 million, 30 million, 50 million, 500 million, they feel like they won the game. What they don't understand is they're just the tallest of the midgets. They're gonna get clipped out along with everybody else. And they've set up this kind of Darwinian uh, environment where everybody is just going as hard as they can to survive. It doesn't matter who you are, unless you're, you know, cash long like Warren Buffett. I read one of his quotes today. When the tide, he said, this is a, a paraphrase and a quote, when the tide goes out like this, you find out who's swimming nude. And we've had 20 years of what's called easy money. Now, here's what the people in my age group think. Shit happens. It just happens. It's all kind of organic. It's the markets. They don't see operators manipulating the system for their gain at the expense of the vast majority of the population. They just don't see it. And they don't see their connection with communities of color that are impoverished. They don't see it. They think they're better. They think they've won the Darwinian contest. They're infatuated with their own success. They're infatuated with their own bullshit. They believe their own bullshit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, here's what's happened. We had 20 years of basically free money. What does that mean to the society? Well, what it means to people that don't own businesses is there's money sloshing around everywhere because they keep printing it. We've been printing as a country. And when I mean printing, borrowing it, printing it, whatever. It's fiat currency, maybe a trillion, trillion and a half dollars a year. For 20 years. That's why we have $33 trillion of debt. And that puts all this liquidity into the system. And what do the banks do? The banks are are encouraged by the Federal Reserve to lend this money out for all kinds of social good and all kinds of social ill. But the business community, the people like me that have grown up in this, so I opened my, my current business in 2006, you get used to a certain kind of business environment. It's the rules that you know, it's a paradigm. So we had a paradigm of very low interest, 
lots of importation of goods from Asia, specifically China, lots of margin associated with that, lots of consumer spending, because the consumers also benefited by all this money. Credit cards. Oh, we're going to give you a credit card. You know, there's been all this money pushed into the system to basically encourage materialism, which is the ultimate distraction. Within the rubric of materialism comes the distraction of sports. Because what do you have to do to get distracted by sports? At the least, you have to be able to afford a television. You might go out to the game. What does it cost for a family of four to go to a football game right now, Royce? I don't know. $400, $500. So that, that, kind, of, that kind of bespeaks to a certain kind of economic status, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. No doubt. And then everybody goes there, and that's a, its own community. You know, 70,000 people screaming. Everybody could pay the ticket to come buy to the jersey, game. Buy a jersey, buy food at the concession stands, overpriced. Um, park. 30-cent pretzel, they charge you $9. Unbelievable, right? Yeah. So it's all part of the experience. You're getting to experience. So that materialism, the entire culture was caught up in that materialism. And what we are led to believe is that happened organically. That's not true. That happened the day Richard Nixon took the dollar off the gold standard. They knew exactly what they were doing at that moment. They knew that they were going to expand the money supply at that second. In fact, they knew it in 1913 when they started the Fed. See, this is the part that is the hardest for my generation to come to grips with. We're living in a plan, and the plan is just marching along. So for the business owners, when you live in a 20-year environment of very low interest, and then in the course of a year, the Fed goes from zero to five and a half. And I read today that Jamie Dimon, the president of J.P. Morgan Chase, he said, the world's not ready for 7%. Get ready. So if the Fed funds rate is seven, that means businesses are paying nine. Nobody makes it. I mean, they're just clipping out the entire middle market. So the nation of shopkeepers is becoming the nation of Uber drivers. Because mm-hmm. after all, if I'm an Uber driver, I'm running my own business. Truck drivers. So, so that's what I say Door to- Door dashers. That's what I say to- Gig the, economy. That's what I say to the people who are in my cohort. You have a lot more in common with an Uber driver than you do with Jeff Bezos. But here's the scam. We all want to believe in our minds. We're Jeff Bezos. We could be. We could be. We could be. Mm. And you know what? And you could be. That's correct. Probably have to knock a few people off, stab a few people in the back. You could. We could. Hold be. a few dirty and dark, bloody secrets. We could be. Mm-hmm. Elon, you know, Elon Musk. Sell your soul. Elon Musk is too far. Nobody says that. But we could be Jeff Bezos. Well, they're right. They're neck and neck now. Yeah, but Elon's in his own space because of the Culturally. engineering. The engineering. Culturally. The engineering part. But the, Bring that hand down. I think you might be uh, waving in front of my face over there. Oh, I'm so sorry. Sorry. Make a note of it, Tanner. Maya, Maya. Make a note of the time. My point is going back to this um, this thing about the uh, the death of the American dream. Mm-hmm. People can't make it. Uh, Why is the American dream? When did when did that shift with the for the American? What was the what was the cultural uh, in, inflection point of people? No longer desiring a nice, solid family, marriage, home, stable home, job, retirement plan, et cetera, et cetera. And now this infatuation with being this serial entrepreneur and, and uber rich billionaire. Well, when did you do you remember a cultural uh, moment in time that was significant where that took place? I thought that was the American dream. See the American dream. All along. Dream. 
get as rich as you can. That's but, the but, but there was a time where people were, what I'm saying is, is the destruction of the middle market, of the middle class, actually an attempt to, to, to psychologically break the desire to see the American dream or, or, or the ability to see the American dream in that, in that more humble fashion. Is that part intentional? I think it's all intentional. Because you can, if you break the middle market, because here's the, here's the thing. What's the, the strategy doesn't really make sense. Then. Then, they, then they plan to kill us before they plan to enslave us. Because if you, the greatest distraction, like you said, the greatest distraction is materialism. Well, why would I, why would I push people so far into poverty that they, don't, they no longer believe that they could become Jeff Bezos? It's better to keep them in the middle so that they can always feel like they're, they're working a job on a daily basis, a cog in the machine, instead of questioning the authority. Well, the change there is technology. There you go. That's, that's what we're being diverted that's from right. looking at. That's right. The real issue for me as I look out. The American dream is now technology. No, there is no American dream. They don't need an American dream. They just need people. Ma- the now, global dream is technology. The globalists' dream is technology. But people, too, us, we the people, our dream has become technology. Well, I don't know any, I mean, maybe, but that's not me, so I'm not, I can't really. The stat, I'm saying statistically speaking, on mass, it shows that there is a, there's an exponential growth of, of technology that's unprecedented. That's correct, but I mean, what I'm hearing you say, if I can mirror it back to you, is you're saying that the people themselves, let's say of your age group, mm-hmm. are looking to technology for solutions and to live their life through technology. The American dream has become technology. Okay, I am not part of that transition because mm. I believe in God, so I never made that So move. maybe it was the internet and, and let's say the, um, the smartphone. Is we would call it this, not, not just the mobile phone, but the smartphone. I, I'm going to identify it how I think about it. Okay. I mean, I'm, I think there's many markers that one can point to, but the one that stands out the most for me is when uh, they started putting the malls up. And they started opening the malls on Sundays. Sundays, there was no, nothing open when I was a kid. I mean, you couldn't even buy gas in St. Paul in the 60s because it was the Lord's Day. So people were encouraged because there was no way to be materialistic, to be with their families, to go to church, to come home and have a meal, and to have a quiet day devoted to God. And that was very intentionally changed at a cultural level with the creation of... Uh, Shopping Sunday, shopping Saturday. People stopped doing those religious things or those family things and started to, you know, get their satisfaction going to the mall. Shopping. Um, well, that's, that's how I look at it, you know. And now shopping is as quick as picking up your phone. Jeez. So, yeah. you know, it's, I mean, for me, that's, that for me is, is where it really changed was the, the at mall. Least you had to, <laughs> at least you had to make a plan, take some time out, Go to the mall, maybe with your kid, maybe as a whole family. It was always with the family. Now they've redu- they've reduced it, anonymized it to a personal device. I mean, it really. And did. what replaced that time wasn't church on Sunday. It's it's reality TV. Yeah, I mean, and then you could say the rise of the illusion of choice around media. I mean, there's still only a handful of media companies. There's thousands of choices, but they're really all owned by a handful of companies. That's why what you started here, Free People Radio, is so important. Mm. All of the alternative information sources are critical to the survival of humanity because we are presenting, or our dialogue is a 
counter-narrative to a hegemonic kind of uh, description of reality. For example, that the Ukrainians are winning the war, mm. which is, you know. What did you think as a, you, you know, you're a Ukrainian Jew. What did you think when you saw the video of the, the Ukrainians down and that, that your, uh, your, your, uh, your, your tribe's woman, Laura Loomer, down there in Florida posted of the, uh, the Ukrainian guy. In Canada? No, not in Canada, in Florida. Oh, what happened? Oh, which guy the was The Ukrainian it? guy with the big swastika. Oh, the, the Nazi? Chain. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And him saying that we, we, we want Joe Biden because Joe Biden sends rockets to Ukraine. Didn't yeah. that guy seem strange? Uh, not the guy who the police pulled over and he, he had an FBI contact. You know, they, they wanted, he had an FBI contact uh, advisory on his name that he had worked with the FBI or, you know, he's CIA probably or somebody. So one of the intelligence communities in the Ukraine, not the guy with the tattoos all over his body. He was Ukrainian. He was Ukrainian. And spoke Ukrainian. And he was in the back of the guy with he, the right, picture. He, he was in the back. With the, with the gold chain. That's correct. But what about that guy with the gold chain? Didn't he seem obnoxiously Nazi-ish? Not Nazi-ish? Like, he didn't seem like a real thoroughbred Nazi. He seemed kind of like a strange... A payroll Nazi? A payroll Nazi. I did. He seemed like... I have a way of articulating this for myself. I'm probably the only person that's going to think this is funny. Okay. But when I say this, I think I'm hilarious. Okay. I'm sorry, you're not going to laugh. Okay. And the viewers aren't going to laugh. Okay. But as a family that was... <laughs> I mean, when you, when you start off like that, I got no choice but to laugh. <laughs> well, I'm just saying. Okay. Because, you know, this is a kind of a personal admission because I'm traumatized by Nazis for real. I mean, I have post-traumatic stress disorder okay. from real Nazis that killed real family members. Uh-huh. Ukrainian Nazis. I mean, the real deal. Mm-hmm. And they were dressed fantastic. The Nazis. Oh, they were dressed. I mean, you talking about the guys in the video? I know. I'm or talking the real about Nazis. the real. No, they're all real Nazis. I have no problem. <laughs> I don't know if this guy in the video was a real Nazi. He's though. a cut-rate Nazi. I, you know, I don't our, even think that. I mean, I've never in my life seen a Nazi wear a dress shirt with the lapels on the outside. Didn't it look terrible? He looked like he looked like a 1970s rendition of a cross between a, 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 a early gangster rapper pimp. And a skinhead. I've never seen something like that. Well, my, my point that, that show. I mean, if the Nazis are are starting to look like that, we're in big trouble. Well, that's my I like point. my Nazis no, that, to look uniformed oh, up in the browns. Uh, okay, I get it. Get now you, I get I mean, what you're saying. I mean, if you're going to be a Nazi, <laughs> yeah. could you please get some of that Hugo Boss paraphernalia out? Yeah, and badass look fly, Hugo yeah. Boss fly shit. Like exactly. Correct. We're gonna get we're gonna get flagged on this podcast for celebrating Nazi attire. Good thing I'm with a Ukrainian Jew. No, no. Well, hey, as a Jewish man, I can speak about Nazis. And if you're going to have a knock on the as door. As a black man, I should be able to speak about Nazis. If, if, well, because we're the same. That's why, hey, hey, when it comes to But the those Nazis, Hugo Boss uniforms are badass. They're badass. They look good. And then they put these guys so out badass, there. So badass. A lot of black people and, and Jewish people still buy Hugo Boss. Well. Regardless we, of their Nazi support. Mercedes. Porsche. Hey. The, the engines in the Tiger tanks were Porsche. Hey. If you're Jewish and you're watching this and you have a Porsche, mm-hmm. that company mm-hmm. was part of the Nazi war movement. Yes. So was Mercedes. Yes. We have to look at the Mitsubishi if you're into the Japanese shit. So these companies have a history that's been, for lack of a better word, I'm not even going to say it. Whitewashed. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. 
for saying that. You could see Hebrews. I, I can say certain things you can't say, and you can say certain things that I can't say. I say everything that you can or can't say. Oh, I'm, 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 I'm a battered ram. I can't speak for you. Okay. I think you're LARPing. I tell you all the time, don't be LARPing as a white man. Okay, I, that's fine. You, Jew, you Jews aren't white. Stop it. Oh, I know it. <laughs> I know it. You and guys I, are getting a sneak peek at Hebrews oh, wait, now. Wait a second. You want know, to know why I know it? Ooh. I'm going to tell you why I know it. I never experienced in my life anti-Semitism. One time, when I was a young business person, I was on the phone with a guy. He goes, do you mind if I Jew you down? And I said, well, it's okay, but would you German me down? That was the extent of my anti-Semitic experience because, you know, I was born in the 50s, and that was like a bubble because, you know, you're getting some safety over the 6 million folks that didn't make it. Mm -hmm. I never ran into anti-Semitism until guess when? That would be when I joined the Republican Party of Minnesota. Mm. And it's the most horrifying and sad thing. You know, my mother who was the leader of the uh, anti-war movement, a real communist, or as we would say in Yiddish, a ganze communist, a big communist, a real communist, a communist, mm -hmm. not a kidding around communist, a woman who devoted her entire life to the poor. Committed. To the poor. I mean, no kidding around. Ideologue. Ideologue. And a lot of the stuff that we've got going on now, like automatic voter registration, mm -hmm. hey, that's her idea. That's just the way it is. I mean, they, you know, these ideas didn't pop up. These people have been working on this for 30 years. And you were there. You saw it. I, wa I was in the room. I was in the room. Mm. You know, my mother, she said to me, she, I, she said to me, she goes, um, did you vote for Donald Trump? I said, sheepishly, yes, I did. And I said, Mom, I've, I've joined the Republican Party. And she was fit to be tied. She said, uh, come to my funeral, don't ever talk to me again. You know, these people take it seriously, right? Yeah. And I love my mother, and I, I was heartbroken, and she said to me something that my heart was open. Rent, rent, you know, I was, it was wrenching. She knew my heart was open. She said, you know, this is why I know blacks and Jews. You're just a token. Mm -hmm. I said, what do you mean by that? Because I really, I didn't get it. She said, you know, they're just using you as a token. And I was so hurt by that. But I was a baby in the party. I just started. I have to call my mother and apologize to her. because She was right. I am just a token. The anti-Semitism here in the Republican Party in Minnesota, what I've experienced on an individual level with people, I was completely unprepared for it. So when you say blacks and Jews, hey, if they don't like me, they don't like you. Yeah, well, it would seem they don't like white people either. Well, when you get to the true Darwinian bedrock of the what whole I'm, deal. What I'm failing to understand is why all these white people think they're in the club. You're not in the club. Well, that's what I'm trying to say. You're more like an Uber driver than you are like Jeff Bezos. That's right. Because what's happening is that philosophy that holds one race superior and another inferior has morphed into a new kind of technological framework where the purveyors of this program have disguised their true intentionality related to race within race. These people are smart. They're college educated after all. And what is it about Don and, and you know, Donald Trump came from having held fundraisers for Democrats, having been, you know, sort of a New York traditional, you know, his generation liberal and and 
made his way over to the Republican side of things. What what do you like about Donald Trump and and, and what what drew you to Republican politics and what what keeps you on the Republican side despite finding out that many of these Republicans are in effect controlled opposition? Oh, let me speak for my generation. What drew me to the Republican Party was uh, selfishness. I'm just going to be very honest and forthright and I, don't, and I don't like people when they say, to be honest about it. No, I'm just going to say, this is very honest. This is an admission. What drew me to the Republican Party is I came from a communist family. I didn't have money. I started to make money because I worked hard. And I didn't want to pay taxes. I was just purely a tax, low regulation, low tax. I want to be a Republican. I want to pay taxes. I didn't think about it any more than that. I'm going back into my 30s. Mm-hmm. And I say, you know, we're, I'm making this transition from narcissism to altruism. And that's probably the most profound thing that's ever happened in my life, to actually know that I'm now very altruistic in how I'm approaching my life and what a wonderful experience that is for me. How it plays out politically is I'm living in a party. You talk about the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. They're still living in that it's all about me. Party. When in reality, the Republican Party is all about human freedom and human well-being. They've somehow, these bastards have somehow hijacked Lincoln's ideology of human freedom and turned it into, it's all about me being free. It wasn't all about me being free. It was about establishing a society where people had freedom. Freedom. Freedom for everybody, Mm -hmm. you know? And I'm, I'm horrified. And I I say this at my meetings, I'll go to my meetings. I'll say, cause everybody's a big shot. Now everybody wants to be a nationalist. It's it's kind of the end thing, right? Is it? Well, it is. When, Even rhinos impersonate nationalists. That's correct. Yeah, it's the end thing because yeah. it's a way to you know hang out with people that are cool. Right, people who have balls. Well, there's nobody that's cool. It's, it's a way for cucks to watch guys alphas. And then they all want to get Jerk down. Off. They want to get down on people that have not made that transformation, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And I always say, well, could you please take it easy on people? I want you to raise your hand. See, you don't have to answer this. If raise you voted for George hand, Bush? If you raised for George W. Bush. Yeah, right. And then everybody in the room, they go like this. Get those fucking hands up in the air. <laughs> and then it's the whole room. And I say, see now? See, you were asleep in 2000, and you're awake in 2023. It took us 23 years, and we're such a small percentage of the overall Republican population how do we wake, wake up the rest of these people? Now, we are a movement. We are a movement. We're going to find out from your candidate to see how big that movement is. Mm. Because it should be unambiguous for the American people. What we're doing is deconstructing a narrative. Why did the Soviet Union fall apart, Royce? And it was a complete police state, a military state, a totalitarian right. regime. You and me. The, we human, were, the, human, the human spirit deeply desires freedom. And the, and the narrative fell apart. It became ridiculous. Right. I mean, they were saying things that were so ignorant and crazy that the people just said, hey, these folks, and the average age of the leaders was 462 years old. You know, they went through a whole series of like super aged leaders. Kleptocratic authoritarianism. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. And we got the same thing going here. We Absolutely. Got to, we got to take this narrative apart and what is the penalty for taking apart the narrative? 
deplatforming, lawfare, arrest, and eventually execution. In Saudi Arabia, if the government does not like your tweets, they'll behead you. They can kill you. They don't, they not can, they do. And it probably is a disincentive for people being frank about how they feel. Now, there's going to be a few people that say, okay, they cut off Ahmed's head, cut mine off too. Fuck you. But for the most part, when the head chopping starts, Peter, did I Christ three times before the cock crow in the morning? I mean, you know, this is just the way human beings are wired. So I'm praying for the courage to live up to this, you know? And this has been an ongoing thing we've talked about since the first morning we met. You sound like a Democrat. Would do you think they'll try and kill Donald Trump? Uh, I say that in a in a good way. And I I said before, you know, th- th- we we live in times of double cross and triple cross, and we want people who are traditional liberals, were Kennedy Democrats, who were Democrats, who were communists. Even I'll take a communist who's redeemed and who who wants to come over to the. That's correct. We're, we're why good. would we not want people? I mean, see, this is where politics becomes uber personal and and kind of ridiculous on its face. And it's really anti-Christian too. And you can sort of pick out the Republicans or conservatives who are in the Republican or conservative narrative for either financial and economic personal benefit or racial animus when they don't want people from the other side. Because the whole point of party politics or or ideological politics in general is that we want to be able to convince people of better ideas. And so if somebody was a Satanist and wants to drop down to their knees and ask Jesus Christ for forgiveness, I may still watch that person closely, but I'm open to the possibility of them asking for forgiveness. I mean, redemption is a fundamental cornerstone of Christian faith, and it should be of American citizenship as well. We want communists to rebuke uh, this, this ridiculous ridiculous uh, outgrowth of, of globalism. Globalism, right. We want that. Which really is baked into the communist cake with workers of the world uniting. In, in Isn't it strange though that the Republican Party here in Minnesota, for example, people, officers high up in the Republican Party say unabashedly and with a, with a sort of confidence that we don't want any new Republicans? Isn't that, isn't that odd? The whole... Uh... I think for my own personal redemption, my own safety, I never bought into the race narrative of the Republican Party because of my, my upbringing, my, my family. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I'm, I know I'm Jewish too because we, we know as Jews, unless we become globalists, those Jews that maintain their faith know we're black. We know it. We know where we come from. We just know it. That's all there is to it. Plus, we want to be cool. So, you know, we just don't want to be... Isn't it weird? That the global, that the that the corporate global establishment, mainly when it when it comes to media, has been so successful in creating a, a, a an image of the Jewish identity that completely excludes black people, yet white middle Americans are the racists. Isn't that strange? The whole thing around race is strange. I mean, you you, you would. If you looked at the common representation of the Jewish identity in Hollywood, on television, in your history books even, at the public school, there's, there's no acknowledgement of how many Jewish 
people, how many Jews live in, in Northern and Eastern Africa from Ethiopia to Morocco and, and, uh, and beyond. It's a secret. It's a secret. Of course it is. Isn't that weird? Even the Jews don't want to deal with it. Isn't that strange? There's Jewish racism. We well, you know, to... there's just as many. How, how many black Jews do you think there are? How many Jews do you think there are in the Northern and East African countries? Well, first of all, most of them have become aggregated into Israel now. Right. Which is the most. But of that variety, I think there's somewhat like. They're a majority. Three, they're four a, million? They're a majority. I don't know if they're a majority. They, oh, they are. Are they? Their ideology is. Because I'll tell you what's happened in Israel. Israel is the construction of European Zionist socialists. Zionism is socialism. It's really not what people think it is. Israel was founded, founded, founded by socialists. Mm. White settlers in the land of Israel that came from Europe. That's what it is. You want to call it a settler colony? I know that there's people in your audience that know what I'm saying when I say that. That's fine. That's what it was. That's the way to think about it. Those institutions that were formed in 49 were socialist institutions, socialist, deeply socialist, with all the rot that comes with that. And probably the only reason the country managed to move forward is because it was under survival threat constantly because it was a very atrophied socialist system, not a religious system. And there was no religious Jews there at the beginning. The religious, the religious came after 67, when they realized the country had been established and they were running in there to keep up with these Zionist socialists, lest they defile the country. And then we had a, a big migration of black hats, Lubavitch, going into Israel. And the rap on the street was just as recently as yesterday was that the Palestinian people were going to outpopulate the Jews in Israel and Israel was going to lose its Jewishness through demographics. But what happened was the influx of the Falashas and the black Jews who were deeply discriminated against but became politically organized, they're faithful, they're religious Jews. And then the religious Jews that came from Europe and from America, they just outpopulated the socialists. So the government there now is a religious black government. It's representing that constituency. And even though Netanyahu is still the prime minister, and he's definitely not of that ilk, so to speak, he's reading the tea leaves and he's saying, okay, dem demographically, these black Jews, these religious Jews, this is the future of the country. And they've taken over and they're taking down the Jews the, from Morocco and Algeria, Ethiopia. And Ethiopia. Yes. Mm -hmm. This is the most powerful demographic movement in Israel. And they're religious and it's democracy. They've won the democratic vote. So what do the Noval Yor Hararis and the technocratic Jews and the socialist Jews, what are they screaming? Oh, these people are bringing an end to democracy. It's the end of democracy. The black Jews. The religious Jews. Which are the black Jews. And, Effectively. Well, that's the root of it. In okay? spirit. In spirit, that's correct. Mm -hmm. They believe in God. Mm -hmm. And these people don't believe in God. They're, and this is the same thing that's going on here in our and country. And they're outnumbered. They're now outnumbered. The technocrats in Israel, which is a real conf confoundment of the, the globalist narrative post-World War II. Oh, it's got these people in a, in a, in a tithy because the, the entire edifice, the entire the, the root, the cornerstone of the whole thing is going back to faith. 
And that, that's not what it was meant to be, and that's not what it's been, and it's changed. And it's changed very dramatically. Isn't that providential, that Israel would have that shift back to a faith in God? Well, I think so. Mm. I, mean, I, I mean, that's, you know, one of the greatest joys of my, my life is to see so that So in this happening. topsy-turvy world where everybody's going America first, and there's this call to um, retract much of the uh, uh, unreasonable foreign aid, foreign resources, you know, for our, for our foreign policy. Does it make sense that we still protect Israel, even if pulling out of all other places, for the simple fact that there is something providential about Israel and a return to faith in God? Israel would not exist without the United States at its inception. Mm. There's a tie culturally. Uh, what Netanyahu did in the early 2000s, he was the one that started to deconstruct the socialist state, and he was creating a capitalist environment there for technology to flourish because he realized that to be dependent, to not be self-governing, was an exposure that he wasn't willing to take for the Jewish people. I mean, there really is self-governance there. You got a handful of people standing up against a billion antagonists. That's pretty self-governing. It's like being out on the plains in the Wild West. You know, it's you and me and a couple of Winchesters, and the Plains Indians are coming. I mean, we either self-govern or our tests are no longer. We lose. Yeah. They're self-governing. So their whole construction there now is about self-governance. And we need to look at that here in our country. Oh, we've given up our self-governance for this... Um, materialism. I mean, that's, that's the great diversion. It's really a lot of work to be self-governing. It is. It's just a lot of work. We don't want to work. What do you think the answer is? Well, first, if you, if you have an opinion, what's the, what's the answer there in Israel? Well, the answer is going to take care of itself. The religious are going to keep having babies and the technocratic are going to keep not what's having babies. What's the answer with respect to the Palestinians? If you have a, if you have a, well, I think that my answer would diverge from the religious on that point. I would, I would make for a Palestinian state myself personally, because I'm all about giving people a chance to bring about peace. What do you mean a state where the Palestinians and the Jews are together? One state? Policy. No, I would probably give them two states. I'd probably give them their own, their own self-governance. Would you take, would you take the, the settler area in Israel and, and swap the two places that are in, in my perfect world, because I was there before this thing got started. Why? I mean, wouldn't that solve a lot? I mean, it just seems like a self-perpetuating conflict that you, if you look at the map of Israel and you go, okay, you got Israel, started off this way, you got Israeli settlers that have expanded and are now on this side of this line, and then you got Palestinians that are on this side of this line. Wouldn't it make sense to swap the two territories and just let the two states exist uh, by themselves? You know, I, I, I don't want to. I mean, like, it wouldn't take much Well, infrastructurally, construction-wise. I if mean, you look at to it, settle a, a conflict that's at the center of global... You can't settle it <laughs> when you're at war with Syria, Jordan, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Iraq, Yemen, UAE, and every one of these countries united in an effort to get Israel defeated, okay? Then you can't settle it because that... But are they, though? Well, they were. They were. And this but are is, they now? Well, it seems like there's been a process. That I was just watching the Saudi leader, MBS, talking about he's moving towards a peace agreement with the Israelis. Egypt has peace with the Israelis. And who brokered the peace? 
Well, that would be Donald J. Trump. Hmm. Donald J. Trump started the Abrahamic Accords, and uh, there there was some some peace treaties that were signed. So Donald Trump started it from an ideological and, and spiritual standpoint, but who's really brokering the peace from the muscle end? From the muscle end? Mm-hmm. And we mean like from the military-industrial complex end? No, I mean from the economic side. Wouldn't you say it's China that's brokering that peace? Isn't China the real impulse for all of the peace accords that are happening now in that area of the world? And isn't that sort of a dangerous Trojan horse to let peace prevail along these false pretenses? I think it kind of is. Well, that's an, my opinion. It's an interesting perspective. Certainly the Chinese are very involved in, in, in the Middle East now in a way that right. America no longer is. Our China is very involved with Israel. They're all, everybody's straddling. Everybody's straddling. And you know See why? who's going to win. Jump ball. Jump ball. That's what it is. Mm. So everybody's got bets laid down on both sides of the bar. Certainly the Saudis do. Yeah. They're on, they're on every side of the, of the board. Well, I think they've safely taken themselves over to that side of the board. We no longer can trust the Saudis. That's, that's, what do you mean no longer? Well, I mean, when yeah, did we, we never, ever? We, we never should have, yeah. They were never trusted. They were always controlled. Yeah. They were always on the payroll. Why? I love when Gaddafi goes in his, in his UN speech, the classic UN speech, he goes, why do we have a problem with the Taliban? Osama bin Laden's not from the Taliban. He's not, he's not Taliban. He's not even Afghan. He's Saudi. He's, he's a Saudi revolutionary. Mm. He was anti-Saudi because the Saudi leadership allowed American boots on their holy soil. He went over the, he went over the hill on the deal. It's more than he could take. Another kind of ethno-nationalism. He said that the, the Saudi royalty was just had sold Sellouts. out sold out too much. Sellouts. Sellouts. He was, a, he was an ideologue himself. He was a total ideologue. Mm. I mean really, I mean this guy was a true believer. A true believer a true believer and willing to give his life for the cause. One man's terrorist is another man's revolutionary. Freedom fighter. Freedom fighter. Right. And, and what has really happened? Those towers came down and look where America is. There'd be those in the audience that'll say, whose payroll was he on? And there's a real reason to look at that because if you roll back the history, back to Mika Brzezinski's father, that would be Zygmunt Brzezinski mm. and the Carter administration when the same Russians, then called the Soviet Union, invaded Afghanistan, a Muslim country, and installed a communist government there under a leader who has an unforgettable name, Najibullah. He has a one name, kind of like Prince. I mean, he didn't have any <laughs> one name. He's a superstar, right? Mm-hmm. Brzezinski organized a counter-revolutionary movement where they armed these Afghani Warlords. The Mujahideen. The Mujahideen. Mm. And when the Soviets fell, they just left them there. Kind of like the way we left Afghanistan this time. It's exactly the same, but a little different. Mm. We had all this military hardware over there. We had all of our CIA boys over there working. And the Soviets pulled out, and so did we. And we left them with all the weapons, all the money, and all the heroin. Same thing happened again, didn't it? Wow. History wow. repeats itself. Well, it does because same it's playbook, same people. To what end? Well, that's really the question, isn't it? To what end? To what end? What's your well? Give me a couple of theories of the case. Well, one theory of the is case is it that the CIA is leaving. CIA left uh, that the, that the powers that be in the military industrial complex left equipment there 
for a potentially revolutionary army to put pressure on one of the one of the border fronts of China in a in a potential conflict with them? That would be a very good theory. Because ultimately, once you get past the sellouts that are running the deal and you get down to the goat herders that are walking mm-hmm. around with rifles, mm-hmm. self-governing, anybody in your audience ever take a look at these people? These are some tough people. They live outside. They live, they, there's no modernity there. They have not given up the old ways. I don't think people understand or have even, not even thought about what the hell that means. They have not modernized. They have, they're like the samurai. They're like the last of the Mohicans. They're not modernizing. They view modernity and materialism as the great Satan. Mm. Well, certainly if the great Satan pulls out, then the little Satan is right next door. That'd be the Chinese. And guess what? They're killing those people because the Chinese are in there and they're killing them. They are killing them. There is actually open conflict with the Chinese, the new occupiers. So that's a good, that is a good theory of the case. Mm. That, that, and I think that's a very reasonable theory. It might be given a little bit too much credit to the people that are running the deal. They could just be completely incompetent. They could be, this could be part of breaking the will of the American people. Because as an American, I mean, my generation, we look at this and we still are carrying this, but we're the baddest ass on the playing field. And we've had this conversation where you say, hey, our military is still. You have it in your generation. Yeah. You think if the fur flies, we're going to pull a rabbit out of our hat and kick ass, right or wrong? Yes. Proceed. Well, I mean, you could look at it two ways. Maybe, maybe you know, version A is maybe there's massive propaganda about the sophistication of the American military or, or maybe... Version B is, like you said in the beginning, the United Nations as an arbiter of, of military business. Regulating the war. Has always regulated America's real capacity to do, to do violence. Maybe it is the case that America is capable of much, much greater destruction and we're always held back by this sort of globalist edifice. And maybe we're always held back because we had an institutional memory of World War II so maybe there was, or maybe we're just held back because if you kill everybody, who's gonna who's gonna carry the fucking rocks for you? Who's gonna wash the toilets until AI gets up and running? It's getting up and running, isn't it? And uh, you could see the violence gonna maybe crank up because the most sophisticated way to kill people is not drop a bomb on them. Because I mean that's bloody. Blood is expensive. Get them to kill themselves. Or even more more dangerous is biological warfare, viruses. I mean, yeah. viruses are the greatest weapon that man could really put his hands on. It's silent. It happens by accident. Yeah. Because of global warming. Plausible deniability. It happens because of global warming. <laughs> no, but I mean, really, the viruses yeah. are jumping up out of the jungle because <laughs> of global warming. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Great. Yeah. Great. I don't, like, don't want to get deplatformed, but I, I do like to talk in parables and talk around issues, and I know you have a very intelligent audience. Mm. But, you know, when they start telling me, that the viruses are jumping up out of the jungle. Sounds a little bit. Who, who said this? <laughs> who said the virus? You gotta look, you gotta find it for yourself. Who said the viruses are jumping oh, out of the jungle? Oh, this is a very common, <laughs> a very common theme. No, like it's AIDS. Not. Oh, no, no, seriously. You gotta go look for it. What? Uh, Asian man eat bat, African man fuck monkey? There you go. It jumped <laughs> right up out of the jungle. I told you it came out of the jungle. 
that virus came out of a bat cave. There is there is historical precedence for for viruses being natural. I mean, but if you want to go back to that level, I mean, we could get into some freaky shit right now. Let's take ten minutes, fifteen minutes, to get into some freaky shit. Go ahead, please. Okay. Professor Penn here from my bookie, and I know as a better, you demand perfection, and my bookie delivers. NFL, college football, and a brand new cash out system gives you options to bet and win all season long. First two legs of your parlay hit, cash out early and place another bet, or let it ride for a chance at a bigger payday. Join the MyBookie family for an entire season filled with daily odds boosts, same game parlays, and super contests. This season, MyBookie has a no strings attached cash bonus that lets you deposit and withdraw quick. Use promo code FPR on a deposit of 50 or more, and you can receive up to 200 in cash instantly to your MyBookie account. Bet your deposit amount once, and you're ready to withdraw at any time. Again, that's promo code FPR to claim your cash deposit bonus. You can bet anything, anytime, anywhere, only with MyBookie. Remember, we were going to talk about it last time, but I don't think we got to the UFO thing. Let's get freaky with the UFOs as a oh, segue. That's great. As a segue. To, well, I mean, we got to talk about it. It's kind of a, it's kind of a, a, an off-limits area of the field still, like sex kind of. Sex is taboo. UFOs are taboo, especially politically. politically which, is, which is more taboo, sex or UFOs? Alien orgies. I mean, that'd be, <laughs> the, that'd be, the, the, <laughs> the, be the coup de gras of taboo, <laughs> alien orgies. Um, We're going to find out there's a bunch of dudes got a fetish for that now. Oh, They're going to be right shit. into the live chat. Oh, they, We probably could find it already. I'm telling you, it's coming. It's probably out there. There's probably people dressing up as aliens and getting it on right now. There is. How did you know that? I didn't. I just assumed. You stumbled right into that. Yeah. Of course, do they have whole conventions and shit with this? Alien porn? Uh, well, of course, people dress up and. That's not true. I don't believe I, I don't believe Professor Penn on this one. He's yeah, let's he's talk, pulling my chain. Let's talk about UFOs. Okay, Go ahead. okay. Um, <laughs> he wanted to send me down a rabbit hole on the internet. He's trying to trap me and have my search history with a bunch of alien porn when the when the fucking Google acolytes come to deplatform me and help the, Keith Ellison you didn't find, bring up some trumped up case um, on bullshit. A young man like you, you didn't discover. He's going to embarrass porn me, yet. assassinate my character because I was looking up alien porn. Uh, rule 34 see Tanner, you gotta talk to the Tanner, doomers you're a, gen, you're a gen what z our gen z producer here tanner says that there is something called the rule rule 34 if it exists there's porn of it rule 34 i guess we figured out what your night's gonna be all about <laughs> I'm going to go home. I'm going to turn the lights down. Get some Cavassier. Get, get, get. <laughs> let the windows up. Let that nice autumn breeze hey, in. I'm going to tell you get something. Get comfy. Hey, my generation, we watched live when it came out the first time, Star Trek with William uh -huh. Shatner. Uh -huh. And one of the great subtexts of the whole three-year deal was he was continuously getting involved with alien women. Yeah. 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 The Klingons. Well, Klingons, he had a whole bevy of beauties. That, they were from all over the, hey, the prime directive, don't disturb the local action. But he was uh, Captain Kirk after all. I mean, they couldn't help themselves. Neither could he. I feel his pain. 
um, <laughs> as a as a more serious matter. <laughs> See, this is getting kind of Hebrew like now. Hebrews. <laughs> um, we got to talk about this because it's a serious it's a serious deal, and on uh, we're we're fast approaching October the third, and of which I've been informed that the Federal Register um, recently released that there will be a national broadcast, a uh, national emergency broadcast test. Um, many people think or uh, are, are theorizing that a couple things are, are at play with this UFO phenomenon. Either A, the American military and the private corporate contractors that are involved with such advanced weaponry and technology uh, have long been in contact with extraterrestrials and are trying to reverse engineer these technologies for what humans always do it for, war uh, or, or domination. Control. Control. And, and either we, we, we haven't yet perfected the technology or we've perfected the technology and we're waiting to roll it out in this sort of false flag fashion. And I just, I, you know, I said on my podcast a few, a few, few episodes ago, um, it's daunting how real my, my intuition is, my gut feeling is that the government could come on an emergency broadcast system and tell the American people or people all over the world that there's this grave crisis that the government is coming to, to assist them with soldiers and whatnot, how many people would actually go? I would venture to guess it would somewhat resemble the number of, of people that took the vaccine, although it may actually be even more people than that because the, there's a difference between the threat of a virus that you can't see and the threat of imminent doom that, that, has, been, um, that has been painted for you in such a vivid way, like UFOs. Right. Um, what do you make of all this? Well, it's funny that we got to this topic because on the next Professor Penn podcast, which will be Thursday night, mm. I came across a Thursday clip. night at 7.30 p.m.? 9, 9 p.m., 9 p.m. Thursday Sorry. night, 9 p.m. Central. Central time. Got it. I'm going to play a clip of one of your, you know, we've, one of our favorite cats. Mm-hmm. That would be Yuval Noah Harari. Mm-hmm. And he has a beautiful clip that he's put out and kind of explains this for me. Now, I'm not going to comment on the possibility of there being UFOs or not. We'll have to deal with it when it comes. But what he is saying is that there's an alien intelligence now, that that alien intelligence is AI, and that in five years it will be able to think for itself, it will be able to make decisions, be able to implement its plans, and what he said is, as long as the world continues to have an arms race, in other words, the weaponization of AI, it's not that aliens are coming from, he's used the word the planet Zircon. It's not the Zirconians that are coming. Mm-hmm. It's AI that's coming. So isn't that great to think that we're being invaded by a alien species when in fact we've created an alien species? Yes, fine, great. Or perhaps, as you're about to say, Maybe the alien species showed up here and we copied their technology and it's taking over. I don't know. But functionally what it means is what we're being prepared for, what we're being pre-programmed for, mm-hmm. is an intelligence 
that's going to take over the planet. A foreign alien intelligence that's going to take over everything at the planet. And he says in the clip, maybe it'll cure cancer. Maybe it'll solve climate change. And maybe not. <laughs> Great. So I, I tend to be... Isn't it strange that, that though we're in a full-blown, knockdown, drag-out war, conflict, kinetic conflict with Russia, that our militaries are still collaborating with uh, certain space initiatives? Yeah, that's very strange. At least they, they uh, it, it report to be doing that still. Well, no, they just... There's, I mean, They're saying it. Well, unless it's all staged... Right. There was a rocket that just left. Why would they go? And and that's strange. Why would they go out of their way to stage cooperation in space if we're on the brink of nuclear war? It does make one wonder what things that make you say, huh? What what the hell is really going on here? Mm -hmm. Is this all some giant passion play or some kind of. As I explained to you, uh, it, it, it would seem that there is a. There is a people-level government, and then there's a government above that government. I have to make it a, a uh, I'm going to share with your audience, okay? okay? go ahead. Because <laughs> we were sitting in my office, Royce and I, as we frequently do, just talking mm-hmm. shit for mm-hmm. no great reason, just having a good time, which we're trying to reproduce here. And um, Royce says to me, he goes, you know, the United States and Russia are still cooperating in space. I said, no, no way, man. He said, bet me. I said, how much? And I looked it up, and I lost the bet because they just there was just two weeks ago a rocket that left from Kazakhstan launched by the Soviet, Soviet, was Soviet, the Russian space agency. It's called Roscosmos. Two Russian cosmonauts and a NASA astronaut going up to the International Space Station. And guess who's the counterparty on the U.S. side for these launches? SpaceX. Mm. Elon Musk mm. is in business with Roscomos and their opera. And so, you know, apparently, apparently, we can fight at the ground level. We can fight at the political level. But when it comes to military industrial complex, that's just about making money. We're doing something in space. Now, the question is, what's so important that these two countries are at odds to the level of cruise missiles? cruise missiles blowing up and killing shit everywhere. What's so important that they still stay together in space? Mm. What, why, what, what's going on? Well, one thing I know that's going on is that a company that was acquired by SpaceX, it's called Swarm Technologies. Isn't that a great name? It was actually funded by InQtel. Did you know that the CIA operates its own hedge fund? Proceed. Oh, it does. Let them come clip you, bag, bag, black bag you. Well, in Q-tail. Hey, you know what? I'm just an interviewer It here. can only hurt for a while. <laughs> it can't hurt forever. Well, fuck the CIA. They can but, suck my cock. But you know what? Pinocchio's. They funded, in, in Q-tail, their hedge fund, their investment fund, funded Swarm Technologies, mm-hmm. which was bought by SpaceX. And guess what the Swarm is doing? Well, we know one thing that it's doing. For decades, the U.S. government, like, big satellites. Big ones. Big. Mm-hmm. Big. Everything's big. You know, hey, if you're driving an SUV, you like big. Texas style, right? Where the Johnson Space Center is. Dramatically, and without any warning, they went to what's called a Pico technology. They're putting in small satellites all over everywhere. Thousands of them are getting launched. Do you know it's for the internet? 
for the communication, for the internet of all things. But guess what? They can shut off our internet and they still have their internet. Second society. Oh, they have their own communications platforms now. The breakaway strategy. Completely independent of seven and a half billion people. A small group of people got their own walkie-talkies. You know, this is very problematic for me. You know, something about the car radio, the radio kind of made being a desperado less fun because they can call for reinforcements. I mean, this is, you know, technology being used. So your theory of the case is they're building a, a secondary internet or a secondary uh, online con- connectivity platform that's completely unreachable by common citizens. I don't think it is being built. It's built. It's built already. Oh, it's built. It's up there, and they can switch off all of our communications, and we're all sitting at home waiting for that emergency broadcast. Maybe they're testing the system on October 3rd. We'll see shortly, won't we? Well, maybe it's not a test. I guess we'll find out, won't we? You know, <laughs> this may be the last broadcast, ladies and gentlemen. We don't know. <laughs> well, we don't. Things know. are getting strange quick. Well, they they are. And we say these things, and these are the things that people would say are you know tinfoil hat conspiracy theory. And I guess when you look back through history and you take a person like Alex Jones, who said similar things in, in times past, you know, he predicted these things. Like now, Robert F. Kennedy's been so brave to talk about. Uh, the chemicals in in the, in the water that turn frogs into gay female frogs, yeah, um, and you know things like this were thought of as conspiracy theory. But we now, through the, I guess you could say, gift uh, miracle of of modern technology and, and online internet connectivity, now is being exposed. And I guess you could you could maybe argue that the, you know, for me, when I looked at the pandemic and then I saw George Floyd, I said this on the show. George Floyd, as a global cultural movement, was a stress test on the American people. Everybody viewed it the other way, as it was the stress test on on authority, right? I mean, that was the conservative narrative that anarchy is going to break out, that the, that the rule of law is breaking down through these BLM uprisings all around the world. The communists and Marxists have have brainwashed people to 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 rise up against the rule of law and, and the, the Westphalian nation state and all these things. I see it the reverse. BLM was a stress test on the people, right? I mean, this was a, this was the establishment killing a man and then pushing a button and saying, we can control when people go out in the streets and demonstrate with great precision. What's the difference between order and chaos? They're the same thing, but a little different. What's order? It's a continuum. Hmm. We're in organized chaos. It's mm. not real chaos. It's organized chaos. Right. And that's a big deal out here, you know, in uh, Minnesota, in the belly of the beast right here. We had a thing. Oh, this got national coverage. Minnetonka, right? We're in Minnetonka right now, right? Mm-hmm. We're not going to. We're in, in an undisclosed bunker in Minnetonka. You can't <laughs> find us. But we are in Happy Min- hunting. We are in Minnetonka, Minnesota. Yeah. And uh, there was a carjacking. In a garage, this this woman and man came out, and there was a bunch of desperados jacking their cars. And it, I mean, first of all, the woman. This is what you never know about people. This woman took off took off after these people. Mm-hmm. She attacked them, mm-hmm. not the husband. He laid back with the cell phone, dialing nine one one. He was calling for reinforcements, but the woman, she was so pissed, she attacked these people. She went at. 
Nobody talked about that, but I thought that was the coolest part of the whole film. She wasn't thinking. She said, hey, you're stealing my car. I'm kicking your ass. A cowgirl. It was great. It was great. Mm -hmm. Because you never know how you're going to respond in that moment until you're in that moment. I hear all these people talking about how brave they're going to be. Well, we'll see. I guess we will. We will. I said the same thing about Christians and and the thin veil of Christianity that, that that's promoted in this country. We'll see how how strong your faith is when 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 you're at death's door, when you're in the shadow of death. I mean, that really tests well, that's people's what faith. That's what we're practicing for. Right. That's the whole point of faith. You know, you're making a comment about the Satanist that has a repentance. That's great. But wouldn't it be great to start working on your faith when you're five, six, five or six years old when you got a daughter mm-hmm. and give her a whole lifetime to build up the muscle to handle the last minute. Because that last minute is the last minute. Kind of stays with you. You know? But the the uh, the uh, carjacked these people's car, and I'll tell you what, that was covered on national news. And this goes back into the race narrative, of course. I was watching this, and they said on Fox News, the woman said, because 500 people went to the city council meeting, we can't believe this is happening in our neighborhood. In Minnetonka. In our neighborhood. Mm-hmm. What neighborhood do you think you live in? Now we're really getting down to race, right? Mm-hmm. In our neighborhood where there's no black people. That's what they were saying. Yeah. It was disgusting. It's why I'm starting to hate these people. Because they do not see themselves as being part of an American community. They're balkanized. And they think they're at the top of their Darwinian heap. That's why they suck. They don't care about me. They don't care about you. They care about their short stack. As Thomas the Good said, they're the tallest of the midgets. They're fucking midgets. They're midgets. They don't care about Donald Trump. Oh, because he's starting to talk about things like reconciliation. Ooh, an Abrahamic Accord, bringing the Saudis into peace with the Israelis. Blessed is the peacemaker. Blessed is, oh, no, but he's a he's a fascist. Mm. He's a fa- He's a Nazi. Right. He's a racist. Right. That son of a bitch, a racist. He's the worst thing for this country. I have people in the Republican Party here that I know well who are leaders in the National Party who have personally called me and asked me to pledge my support to an anti-Donald Trump movement. And I said, she's not even nominated. What are you doing? Why are you putting your thumb on the scale? That's not your job. That's not my job. That's not, that's not right. The American people get to decide who's the nominee of the party, who's endorsed by the party. But they like to put their thumb on the scale, young Senate candidate Royce White. Hmm. We'll see. My balls are going to be pretty big on that scale. Hey, put them on, baby. <laughs> because you know what they think? They Your think, thumb versus my balls. Let's, let's get to it. Go let's for have it. it. Go let's for have it. it. Let's, let's have at it. Yeah. Time to throw down. But then, of course. Because the questions are too big. The questions are too big, and all the easy answers are behind us. So it's, it's you know, there, there is no, there is, there is going to be no, uh, there's going to be no negotiated peace anymore. We're well beyond that. And everybody knows it. We're just all, we're just all clamoring we're just on waiting to the last. For the shit. We're just moments of, of, of uh, peace. prosperity. Right. It's oh, not peace. It's, well, it's but, but, but it, prosperity. It's over for me. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. a lot of people it's over for. Yeah. I mean, the money's dried up. I was talking to a guy I knew in uh, South Dakota today. He was in business. We're friends. He just said there's no money. Nobody's got any money. 
No one's got any money. Where'd all, where'd all the money go? Where did all the money go? They turned the tap off. They turned the tap off, and they have been repatriating it upstream through inflation. It's They're taking it back. They give it, and they take it. You know? Mm. So, I mean, I I feel that this, um, this issue of uh, choosing for the people, even that's a scam. Oh, and I want to go back. You were asking me, did, did I think that? I, I don't want this to get forgotten. Mm-hmm. You're asking me, do I think they're going to kill Donald Trump? Mm-hmm. I do not. Maybe they'll blame it on aliens. You know who I think they're going to kill? <laughs> I do have a theory. Robert F. Kennedy? Nope. Okay. Clarence Thomas. Hmm. Said that a while back. Watch for the Supreme Court justices. If they start getting clipped out, you know the war is really on. Because that will allow this Democratic Congress and this Democratic president to stack the court because it is kind of an extreme thing to say we're going to go from nine justices to 15. That's a big deal. It's going to be a little tramp. But, you know, if Clarence Thomas had a heart attack and died in his sleep, like Antonin Scalia, oh, they got to put in a new person. That is one of the last bastions of protection of the Constitution, which is a protection of the Bible, because that's why they're working on this. If you can get the Bible to go away, you can get the Constitution to go away, and vice versa. They're... They're linked together because that Constitution has a creator in it. So getting that to, to, to deconstruct it, I mean, everybody, you know, it's revolution, counter-revolution, counter-counter-revolution. What they want, I think, what they want to do is destroy that last bastion of adherence to constitutionalism. So I'm, I'm really concerned about the safety of the court. Professor Penn, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for coming back. We appreciate you being here. That was incredible. It's a great way to end. Look forward to Hebrews, the Hebrews once a week podcast up and running soon. This is your Hebrews team. Right now we're on Please Call Me Crazy, but Hebrews is definitely coming soon. I hope you guys enjoyed it out there. A turn to more serious matters, more serious political matters amidst talking about cultural wedge issues. Uh, I don't mind talking about them, but we got to get a dose of reality back in the mix and, and understand the gravity of the things we're talking about. I only bring UFOs up because it is a serious, a serious new topic that's, that's out there on the table. That, that politicians should not shy away from. And, and we should, really why I'm talking about it is this. You never say, told us what you think about I'm it. I'm going to say this as a parting shot. Okay. It's my belief that there is sophisticated and advanced technology well beyond the scope of what American citizens or free people all around the world have been given access to. And that in that technology, there is a certain level of energy independence that would give each individual citizen such a level, such a level of, of sovereignty that it's a threat to any dream, pipe dream of global governance. And that that's what's been coveted in this whole UFO deal. Maybe it's, artifi- maybe it's artificial intelligence, maybe it's extraterrestrial uh, technology, uh, maybe it's, it's advancements in our own technology that's organic, whatever it is, I think there's a level of technology, obviously, there's a level of technology out there that um, is well beyond what any of us could conceive. And in order for them to achieve the technology that we're seeing in the UFO phenomenon, it, 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 has, it explicitly has to do with base materials, base material science and, and um, energy, energy itself. And so if that type of energy is being kept from the American people, this is not only a matter of, of national security, but it's one of the greatest affronts ever, ever pulled on humanity. 
And it'd be my it'd be my dream to see those secrets proliferated to the American people and people all around the world so that potentially we could be energy independent as as individual citizens, which would help us achieve a, a more secure level of freedom and security. Because at, at, at the bottom, them being able to turn off your Wi-Fi is dangerous, but them being able to turn off your electricity was before, you know, came before that. Right. And then being able to turn off your your gas for us who live here in Minnesota or places where there are real winters or your gas that gives you air conditioning. I mean, it's all sort of the same ecosystem, but there's a certain prosperity and poshness that we live under that is completely at the, the, the press of a button for our elites. And that's dangerous, especially how they're they're trending today and, and being willing to deplatform people. Eventually, you'll be you'll be de-energized. You know, isn't it interesting that all of the problems that we face, the solutions are all global governance. Right. When in reality, what you're saying is the solution is individual sovereignty. Right. I mean, really, that, that's what we're dealing with here. Are we going to go for the, the global? Right. Or are we going to take responsibility for ourselves? I well, mean, I, I get it. And, and, and death has been used as a, death itself has been used, which is why when you really get down to it, the, the, it being a faith matter for all my secular atheist libertarian brothers and sisters out there, I mean, this is the, the fundamental argument that shows it's a faith matter because it, death is the greatest form of propaganda to justify global governance, right? Is, you know, we can, we can prolong your, you, you dying. We can prolong the potential of you dying. First, we're not going to let the Nazis kill you ever again. We can, we can, then we can give you a level of technological sophistication that's so good, you know, we can, we can, Make your heart pump again if you've had a heart attack. Or, we could transplant your heart. Or we can give you marijuana so strong that any ailments you have, you don't really feel anyway. That, that came well before the idea of globalism. And there's natural plants that, that give you that feeling. But my, you, you get the point. The point is, in an organized fashion, we can take your governance and rights away from you and give you a replacement uh, at a small price. And the price is your freedom. A small price to pay. Very small price to well, pay. Well, it is for most people. Mm. Unfortunately, they don't, uh, they don't Sadly really. Sadly but true. Yes, they don't recognize. And, and many people do not care. The illusion of freedom. The perception of freedom. The perception of, the illusion of choice. You can get choice. in your car. The illusion of choice. You can get in your car. You can drive where you want. You can stop where you want. You can buy what you want to eat. But all of those things are a, 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 a a result of a chain of, of essential industries and resources that are controlled, governed, and regulated. Now get in an electric car. Mm. Now you can be fenced in about how far you can go. I saw a video, a great video the other day of a, of a, of a Tesla being driven on the Autobahn. And the, the, the Tesla was going 365 miles an hour. It looked great, didn't it? It was it is incredible to see. I, don't, I mean, it just... It, to me, I just think to myself, jerking off has reached a whole new level. <laughs> we appreciate your viewership and your listenership today. And in Thank the future, you. please go and subscribe to the Professor Penn Podcast, which airs on Tuesday and Thursday nights at 9 p.m. Central. Hebrews is coming soon. Follow us on free, at freepeopleradio.com to figure out where you can watch and listen to the podcast on any of the platforms. They're available. The fight continues. Don't die a jerk off. As always, Godspeed. Thank you.